how do we find truth? How do we develop, like Ammon and the boys did, a sound understanding? What does that mean? We're always looking to know what is true and what is not true. And certainly when people are looking at the church or looking at us, they want to know what is true and not true. How do we figure that out? What if our head tells us one thing and the scriptures tell us another? There's another problem. I want to talk today about how to develop sound understanding the way that Alma and the sons of Mosiah did uh, on our way to discover the truth we're looking for. Thanks for hopping on. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. Let's start uh, class this morning. Uh, welcome everybody out. Um, I wanted to kind of start uh, with this, if I could. Um, had an interesting conversation uh, through the week um, with a uh, gentleman who is uh, not a member of the church, but he's investigating the church. And, but he's read a lot of stuff online. So anytime that they're investigating the church, they're going to be a handful for the missionaries. So, so I get this quick you know, call from the missionaries. It's like, please talk to this guy. Okay, we'll do that. Um, and I, I sat down with him for about an hour and a half and and had and and it's funny the things that I heard me saying because um, one of the things that he said was uh, one of the things he likes about his evangelical faith is its certainty. It's in it's in the Bible or it's not. It's here or it's not. It's literal or it's of the devil. You know, it's just like this certainty, and I know, and you know, and. As we started going through our church's history, because he was looking a little less at the, our theology, and I keep trying to move him towards the theology, but he was, we were having to answer some questions about our church's history. And you know, when he would ask things about blacks in the priesthood, or he'd ask things about the Adam-God theory, or polygamy, or, 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 I found myself over and over and over having to say, yeah, we used to teach that, but we don't anymore. <laughs> or, and, I, and I'm framing it in the idea of this is a growing living church, and when prophets get new information, that adds to their fund of knowledge, and that moves the ball, and we understand more, things more deeply and powerfully. And we kept going on and on and on, but uh, over and over and over, we're just going, okay, yes, we did. Now we don't. Yeah, but it was preached. I know it was from the pulpit. Yes. And I'm even going through Bruce R. McConkie in August of 1978 saying, everything I have wrote about, spoke about, talked about in relation to black and the priesthood was wrong. 
And when the revelation comes, everything else behind it is now inaccurate. Now we're moving forward. Uh, and so what we decided at the end of our conversation was, yeah, our church is a little, le- a little more nuanced and a little less certain. It's a little messy. That was our, yeah, it's a little messy. Yeah. So you could point out that, you know, about a third of the doctrine in the Bible is the prophet's being corrected or correcting local leaders for teaching false doctrine. I know that, and you know that. It's easy for him to know that. It's not like it should be a Oh, no, 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 no. In Sola Scriptura and in the literal Bible churches, it's in the Bible or it's not. Well, right, but the thing is... It's true or it's not. And Galatians, Corinthians, Timothy, whatever, there's a lot of that doctrine is being put out to correct. And and they're even saying, you guys are doing this wrong. I know. I I believe that. Galatians has Paul ripping on Peter and you know, and I and I get it. I'm right with you. But to move but he's having to move his paradigm of thinking from a literal certain place to you have to understand there's a nuance here. There's a trying to understand if the Bible says the world was created in six days, that's six 24 hour days. And we go, well, no, it's periods. And, it, you know, no, in that mind. So, so part of moving the ball with him is having to actually move him away from some certainty to expanding to see a bigger picture and see the scriptures for what they are. It was exactly that. that this is. These are prophets doing the best they can. When the prophet in the Bible is saying, in the Bible, we are teaching the wrong thing. It needs to change to this. Oh, yeah. Now, now he's going to have to find it because he's not hearing that in church. He didn't hear that in church. It's like, it's the Bible or not. It's so, but because remember, for the, for the, the uh, Protestant Reformation, so much of that. Okay, Milt, we can get started now. Good, good, good to have you here. <laughs> okay. Um, Protestant Reformation was about still understanding authority. Authority is important. We just don't like the papacy authority. So we're going to replace the papacy authority with what? Sola Scriptura Bible authority. So if you're going to mess with the Bible, you know, and, and even, and I said to him, you realize there's a forgery in First John. And he goes, yeah, I know. It's like, you know, it's part of that moving the ball, starting to have to say, maybe, maybe what I've been locked into for so long has more to this. Okay, so it's messy. It's messy. It's messy, and it's going to be messy. And the Lord continues continues to make make it messier as we get more knowledge. Okay, so uh, I was thinking about that in conjunction with um, this this fun moment that we get. Um, In, in Alma 13. Uh, so I want us to look at, or Alma 17, the, the moment when Alma is meeting Ammon and the boys coming with their anti, coming with their, their converts, you know, and they meet on the road of all things. What a great moment that must have been. Um, but part of what I was trying to understand, to uh, explain to my friend, uh, and something that I think we always have to kind of keep in mind as a church. I, I, I kind of drew this for him. I said, I need you to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ 
has never changed. From the, from the early days, from the pre-mortal life, a plan was put forward that does not change. It's about the Savior. It's about his redemption. What he did for us, the atonement has never moved. Said so Now, when sometimes people are looking at the outside trying to understand the church, the, what's happened to administer the gospel, to teach the gospel, what's happened over time is that there is a church of Jesus Christ that puts a structure around the gospel to provide authority and leadership and keys and and all of those kind of things and and that church uh, evolves and changes again if we if we if we were going to compare our um, sacrament meeting experience with what was happening in a um, in, in a house church in Corinth in 50 AD, it might look different. I also believe that if we were going to have a fast and testimony meeting in, in uh, 1850, 1860, that looks different than our fast and testimony meeting now. And, it's, and it might be far different from a fast and testimony meeting in, in Athens in 1860 this changes it evolves over time and sometimes when people are talking about uh particularly those are saying i'm leaving the church the church bothers me i'm leaving what are they leaving they're even saying it i can't i i'm going to leave the church i don't think that they usually but usually what that means is I'm abandoning the church and the gospel because sometimes because they tend to lump it so much together and it is together, but is, is what happens is they're going to say, I'm going to leave the church. And now I know, and now I'm agnostic. I, I'm, I'm abandoning the whole package. Yes. Yeah. Which is the one that I think they react to the most. Well, it's just that the gospel, or the gospel doesn't change, and the church is an imperfect, dynamic channel of communication right. between the culture of the individual and, and the gospel. Yeah. And there are so many cultures <laughs> that this church dynamic has to be managed it, it's not managed at God's level. It's managed at the local yeah. individual level by imperfect by people. people. Yeah, who, who uh, I mean, one of the stories they told last night, uh, heartbreaking, because one of the things that Alice had put together was being able to get testimonies of these early saints and their, from their journals and then compile them together. Heartbreaking about the, the gal that joins the church in California, and she goes on a trip to the south. And, and in essence, yes, it was. And she kind of said that. It's like as they're escorting her out of the church, you know, in the ward because they're still doing the segregation thing. I didn't. I don't remember what year that was. Yeah, yeah. And and so she expected to find her Oakland church in the south, and she, and she said, and I think she said, I never went back to the south again. Um, but but you're right. It's about imperfect people and so often even more than rejecting the church 
it, it would be interesting if people say, I've had enough, I'm leaving the culture. Which is what I, I kind of do is sometimes say, okay, leave the culture, stay in the church. <laughs> leave the culture, but we need your voice in the church. We need the diversity of voices. You may be struggling with things in our history or even th things in our theology. Okay, speak up. We need diverse voices uh, because because they'll say, well, I go in there, everybody's thinking the same, doing the same, I feel judged because I'm different. Then stay and speak up. <laughs> Make sure it's not, because last time it's like, well, my ward is unfriendly. And I'd say, well, Brent, you're, I know your ward's unfriendly, but aren't you a member of the ward? <laughs> okay, so really, you're part of this unfriendly ward. So the ward, does the ward need to change? Yes, cool. What are you planning on doing? What are you doing? Because this is your ward. You're a ward just made up of people. And if we're going to claim that our ward is unfriendly, then we like. But your, your field circle is, it's like it's dealing with the culture, but there are thousands of cultures and they don't all agree. And the field culture a circle has to reach each one of them. It does. And see, that's the other part of it, right? And, and I think, and, and, and the way that the church tried to handle this in the past and still is, we're going to actually go to correlation. So we will make sure that the same lesson is taught in Chile, is taught in Japan, is taught in Santiago, Santiago and in Salt Lake and Korea, all in Seoul, all the same day. And on one side, it's like, okay, there's some, there's some um, consistency. There's some uniformity. On the other side, if we're going to sing Oh Ye Mountains High in Texas and Kansas, Florida, Florida, Florida uh, as opposed to how, how about drums in Ghana? You know, how about, and I think the church is trying to move to that because we've been waiting on this new hymn book. And this is part of our discussion on Saturday night uh, with, with these, with these uh, great sisters. We're all waiting on this hymn book that we thought was going to be ready. They've been working on it now for what, like 10 years? And I think that's one of the questions that are being asked. What kind of nod do we give to the different cultures in the different countries to recognize their contribution? Should there be some, some Japanese hymns in the entire hymn book, or do you have a Japanese version that has hymns in, in Japanese that mean more to them, maybe written by local people. Yeah, yeah, why not put it, that in there? <laughs> is it in the hymn book? It, it is in most words, uh, but they've glued it into the back page, the front page, on the cover. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, yes. It doesn't include the music. It's just the words. Because everybody knows. That, that's awesome. So, so, again, we get this. So, again, I think when sometimes I'm looking at people that are attacking the church, the culture does drive them nuts. Uh, but by, but by um, in whatever culture they're in, but they're conflating that a lot of times with the church. But the church is made up of people of, of the culture, isn't it? Part of that, we want to say those imperfect people, there's, there's no way, guys, to separate out Brigham Young's decision in 1852 in the, Phil, in the uh, Fillmore State 
House, when you actually read the transcript, we now have the transcript of the moment that he declared that Utah would be a slave state. And, and there was no way that he was going to be separate. He can't separate Brigham Young and all the incredibly inspired things he did and separate that from how he was influenced by the way that he was seen. His, his view, for instance, and it's a true story, his view that if a black man and a white woman married, she wouldn't be able to have kids. That's what makes them mule autos, mule autos was the fact that it would affect their kids in this life and eternal prospects. So we got to implement something so that we're going to discourage intermarriage. How did he not know about all of those black women that were owned by white slavers who were having kids? Yeah, yeah. Well, there was, I know, right? Right? Uh, at the same time, there there was a guy, uh, and, and I'm, I do know his name, I won't say it. He was actually whooping it up in winter quarters and, and, and romancing a lot of women in winter quarters. I mean, and he had that in his background as well. We had the Walker Lewises and those guys that were wonderful people. And then we had this Yahoo that was, so he was, Brigham Young was influenced by his culture and made decisions. Um, we have a whole, guys, we, I grew up in a world where our whole church leadership had grown up in the, in the depression era. They were depression babies. So what was highest on their mind? Food storage, two years supply, because the banks can all fail now. And they lived through those moments, okay? Some of the things they emphasized without touching the gospel of Jesus Christ, so sometimes they blended those, was a culture of, of emergency preparedness, not just for 72 hours in case a tornado comes through, but the banks are all going to fail. We need something for two years. So store your wheat. Okay. Our, the culture in, influences us. Okay. Yeah. Oh, certainly. You, don't, you just don't waste things. And why are you buying that? You certainly won't need it. And uh, because you may have things now, but you're going to need a week from now or a month from now. These things will be available to you. And it's really good counsel. Uh, uh, it wasn't, none of that was false counsel, no, right? But it was just influenced by yeah, was, uh, the, the, their time. Not a lot of, and I, I think that when, when people lose their jobs, then you just feel like the floor just fell off. Yeah. And if you're not prepared, so it, you're right, that was their thinking, because then use it, make it, make it last, use it up, that's what they It was. When was the last time in General Conference you heard a talk about the evil of the UN? And and uh, communism taking over. That was President McKay. That was that was J. Reuben Clark. And then it was President Benson. And then Benson, yeah, the yeah, and 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 Cleon Scows and the Naked Communists. I mean, they're just again, there was a culture that reflected the culture that was going on at the time. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, they did the same thing with Joseph Fielding Smith. Jo Joseph Fielding Smith um, what was, was so rigid and stuff like that. He makes this turn and creates temples and did this great thing. And then President Benson turned to the Book of Mormon. Okay. So, yeah, you, you see these prophets that are then 
maybe uh, when they're teaching a lot, they're influenced by culture, but when they're in charge of this. Well, the further out you are from being the prophet, the more you, your uh, structure is based on your perspective. Yeah, it is. And the closer you are to being the prophet, the more you yield yourself and God presents himself through you. Is, and that's very true. But trying to convince, again, trying to think about people on the outside looking at the church who don't have that perspective. We understand it. We, there is a, I, I, I like the nuance and the kind of the messiness of the church because I just, I love the fact that we're all flawed and God works with flawed people and he, and he works with us on this. But sometimes people coming in, they, they struggle with this. Um, so, so one of those things about then learning truth, because this is all going towards there's a discussion about truth that happens in Alma 17. Uh, in learning truth, um, I, I saw some, actually on an LDS site, they're trying to make the dichotomy of, well, are we supposed to listen to our own revelation or the prophets? In fact, and, and they did a poll. They did a poll. Do we listen to the prophets or our own revelation? Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay, so yes, we listen to prophets and leaders. And yes, another source of truth is the scriptures. And yes, our personal revelation comes into it as well. So I, there's this triad of how, how do we know what is true and what is not? There's, there's, we have, we have three sources that are going to come together, and so, so here's my question, guys. Not scriptures, right? Prophets. Yeah, we could probably throw that in there, but. Well, personal revelation oftentimes is going to be head and heart, right? Uh, uh, DNC nine. So here's my question: If somebody says. I have, I've had a personal revelation, and in this church, by the way, we hesitate to say, no, you didn't get revelation. I mean, it's, a, it's such a personal thing that it, we're kind of, it's hard a little bit to say, I had a revelation and you're supposed to marry me. <laughs> well, I haven't got the same revelation. Well, then you need to work on it, which is not too far away from, I've had a revelation, the Book of Mormon isn't true. Well, work on it. You know, you need to keep praying until you get this, okay? And, and, and we have these personal revelation things, but when that is backed up with, I'm going to have a personal revelation. Now, the question is, does that go, does that personal revelation go counter to what prophets have taught and current prophets have taught? Because remember, sometimes it changes as it grows and then it develops. Current prophets are teaching this and the scriptures. Now, if I'm going to get an answer here and it's going to go counter to these other two sources, I probably should be second guessing myself a bit. What's that? I should. And, and, and over time, but if my sources, I just prayed about it and I got a burning in my bosom that said, you know, uh, the church should have 20 apostles instead of 10. 12, 
then I've got to say, okay, is, is the church and the scripture saying something different? Then I've got to second guess. Where'd that come from? Okay. So a lot of times we don't understand when we ask a question of God. We don't understand what question we're asking. Oh, that's true. You know, and and so, for instance, I don't know. There's probably half a dozen brothers in this room that have been ordained to seventy. Um, we were called. Is there anybody that's been ordained to seventy in this room? Okay, two. (laughs) Yeah. But the revelation was because the state leadership understood incorrectly that the church was supposed to have 70s in every state, okay? And so they would go and ask the Lord, should we call this brother as a 70 or can we give this? And they had a definition of what 70s did in the states, which was different. Right. And so they were really calling us to be a permanent uh, state missionary, you know. But it was through revelation. God's hand was in it. But we did not understand what we were doing. And when we figured it out, that that wasn't really what God intended, they disbanded it, thankfully. Because it was a horrible thing to call somebody to be a seventy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember Paul Dunn talking about the fact that he would go in as a 70. He was first called as a 70. Paul Dunn talked about he would go into states, and the state president would say, I'm a high priest. I hold the keys. You're a 70. Yeah, I'm coming from, I'm part of the 70s garment of the church. I know, but they weren't getting any traction either. They had, they had to, they had to, right? But that was an understanding that they had at the time that went back to the beginnings of the church. And over time, the church learned and grew and implemented things. Now, is that touching the gospel at all? Oh, heck no. But but th- these changes are there, so th- this is this. So here's one of those places I would challenge a little bit. What happens if the leaders and personal revelation is telling you is telling you one thing, but you're sort of reading something different in the scriptures? It's our canonized scriptures. I think that's why our handbook. Green Handbook has so much less false doctrine in it than, than the previous one. And but they, before this one came out, they were already at the pulpit at General Conference saying that our handbook was scripture. Yeah. And and but even though this has so much less, there is still false doctrine. In <laughs> and it, I think they're trying to make sure, among other things, that that the new handbook has gotta, no it's got, false doctrine. It's got to be good. Anybody grow up singing, uh, the world has no use for a drone? <laughs> so wake up and do something more. The world has no use for a drone. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're still, we're still worried about drones. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay, so anyway. Keep in mind this kind of structure. Um, Now, what I want to do here is go to let's go to uh, Alma seventeen because with those, if if we 
if we take this this conversation, we put it in, let's put it in context. That Cindy, is that actually better to read than it was in the chapel? It's much better. All right. Okay. Now, as it came to pass that Alma is journeying from the land of Gideon southward, and by the way, he's got Amulek and and uh, this is they, I think they're still kind of buzzing from um, what the what they went through, uh, the good and the bad. Coming away to the land of Manti, to his astonishment, he meets the sons of Messiah journeying towards the land of Zarahemla. You know, off we go and we got and and we're being followed by a bunch of Lamanites. <laughs> awesome. Thousands. I know. And, and that must have been you imagine that moment when he says, so how how'd the work go? Uh, come here for a minute. <laughs> Look out in the valley. Meet my converts. Yes, I was thinking it's actually kind of the opposite of. Remember that the Roman conquerors that that would come into the forum in Rome after they conquered Gaul or they'd conquered Galatia or whatever, and they're and they're and he's riding in the chariot, and right behind here comes the spoils of the country. And on, on the back of that is a bunch of slaves. And, and, and I just think in some ways this is kind of the opposite of that. You've got the, the conqueror who is actually the one that they, they love and he's bringing his converts with him. Because they're going to die if, they, if, if uh, they stick around. So that, here they are, okay? Oh, I think that's true. Yeah, and they've, sometimes those guys would then travel back with them, and yeah, right. Um, now, we get this, verse 2. Now, these sons of Messiah were with Alma at the time the angel first appeared. Therefore, Alma did rejoice exceedingly to see his brethren. What added to his joy, they were still his brethren in the Lord. Now, by the way, we have two accounts of this, right? This is This is the first account kind of through... Uh, well, one, one's, I guess, maybe Alma's account, one Ammon's, I don't know. But, so, so Alma's going to rejoice to see his brethren, what added to his joy, they were still his brethren in the Lord. So he's filled with joy, okay? What's Ammon's response? Well, let's hop over to Alma 27, up here, Alma 27, 16. And it came to pass that Ammon was going forth in his land. He and his brethren met Alma in the place which has been spoken. And this was a joyful meeting. How joyful was it? Well, that, the, the, the tradition with these guys seems to be, as we're going to get into it uh, next week, the, the tradition and, um, is the joy of Ammon was so great, verse 17, even that he was full. And he was swallowed up in the joy of his God, even to what? Exhaustion of his faith. Plop. <laughs> he fell again to the earth. And then, and then I love Mormon's little comment in here. You get this little commentary as he's, as he's doing this. And he go, whoa, was this not exceeding joy? This is the joy which none receiveth save it be the truly penitent and humbler seeker of happiness. And he does note. By the way, the joy of Alma in meeting his brethren was truly great, also of Aaron, Omner, and Himni, but their joy was not to that of exceeding their strength, okay? Yes, they were really joyful, 
But this Ammon guy just keeps plopping. He just keep, he just gets so overwhelmed by all of this. I just think it's. Um, I, I was thinking, Cindy, the 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 uh, the other side of heaven, um, where in the islands, uh, Brother Elder Groberg is there, and and he learns how to mourn. That if he's going to mourn, and and one of one of the people die, remember, and, and if we're going to mourn from a Western perspective, there's there's sadness and tears and grief, right? In the islands, what does that grief look like? Yes. Sometimes a person will die in the beginning of his life, but their funeral is not until the end of the month. Yeah. Because how long it takes to get from whatever island, even in this day and age, get their plane ticket and stuff, and then it's a whole week long. If it's Samoan, it's a whole week. Yeah. And they come and they do a whole thing. Is it, a, is it quiet? <laughs> it's very noisy, and and that's why I say. And Elder Groberg kind of uh, uh, became part of the group, part of the tribe, because of the amount of crying and over the top from a full heart, just doing his thing. So I think, uh, as priesthood holders, when we give blessings, and as individuals, when we give prayers, or when we're participating in ordinances. Sometimes we get overwhelmed and we have to take, it, it takes us a few moments to recover. Yeah. Um, sometimes when someone's giving a blessing, they may pause because they're seeking inspiration and that's all they're doing. But other times they pause it, because it, they are overwhelmed. It, it's draining. It and, is draining. Yeah. And uh, maybe it doesn't last so long that we fall down and we're passed out. Uh, but. I think that's the same kind of joy that we're talking about, the same kind of being overtaken by the Spirit. And I think all of us have probably experienced that. Yeah. You know what? I think we get one other glimpse of something close to this, just in my mind. Think about uh, when we get to Third Nephi, and the Savior is teaching the people, and then he's ready to go and give them a break, but they want him to stay. So then after he's compelled... Uh, emotionally to stay. He stays, bring the kids, uh, and, and they go through this whole experience. And then it's just like the Savior has to separate himself away from everything. And he just, in this gratitude, he drops to his knees and just thanks the Father for this. I mean, that's, that's, that's joy. That's, that's amazing stuff. So, yeah. Right, right. They really allude to tears, and it does seem to me that the most person who teaches the same lesson isn't just as spiritual as the same testimony. But sometimes in the culture, that has meant to say, I don't have a testimony unless there's a lot of tears. Uh, if you're an engineer, you're never going near that or, or an accountant. It's going to be a logical thing. That ain't happening. You know, uh, but but that culture has sometimes been, I I don't really have a testimony unless there's lots of tears. And so you're, it hits, it does hit differently. Yes, yeah, right. uh, verse 19 addresses that exact thing is that every one of us, things affect us differently. I think it does. You know, I think it does. Right. So there's a really instructive passage where, 
the father of Limhunt. Yeah. He taught the gospel by Aaron. Yeah. And then he is overwhelmed by the Spirit. Listen, that Lamoni family, they, they, they kind of set the tone for this thing. He passes out, and his wife's sitting there watching over him a couple of days. Then he comes back, and then she passes out, and then he passes out. And in one instance, they describe them being overcome with the Spirit, and in the other instance, being <laughs> overcome with joy, and they equate the two. They do. And for them... When they talk about being filled with joy, they're talking about being filled with the Spirit. And if you think back to man is that he might have joy... That's a lot of joy. actually saying man was created to that have. he might be filled with the Spirit because that is what prepares him to return into the presence of God. You know, every... every uh, we, have a, we have a grand dog at our house. Big black lab, and and when when you, when you've been gone for five minutes, and she assumes you're never coming back ever again, and you hate her, and then you walk back in the door, it's just like her joy is so great it can't be contained in a body. Oh uh, yeah, five minutes is like oh, you came back. <laughs> yeah, it's that deal, isn't it? It's just like. Tongue and tail, man. They're just like, oh, wait a minute. Let, let, let me go get a toy so I can tell you how happy I am. To see. And, and you, you kind of get that sense. But remember back, back with Lamoni's family, even the guards are passing out. Everybody. So there is a part of this that I, I start to think when I think about the Polynesian cultures, that I think some of this might be a little cultural, that it's okay to just let this whole thing over the top go. Um, and, and what, but what a beautiful lesson that is, because Ammon is, Ammon's rocking this thing, man, and he's just going to be full tilt. Okay, all right. Now you make some interesting statements here. That that I probably spent most of the week kind of looking at this and thinking about this. Because here's going to be Mormon's view of what he saw coming, and he's actually going to talk to us a little bit about truth in the way that Mormon saw this. Now, these sons of Messiah were with Alma at the time the angel first appeared. Therefore, Alma did rejoice exceedingly. What's he really excited about? What added to his joy was that they were still his brethren in the Lord. Now, look at how he kind of defines, not defines, but explains these brethren still of the Lord. It's going to say, they had several things. They had waxed strong in the knowledge of the truth. They were men of a sound understanding and they, and they had searched the scriptures diligently that they might know the word of God. Now, there, there are several items there. They waxed strong in the knowledge of the truth. They're men of a sound understanding. They searched the scriptures diligently. Now, um, before we even get into fasting and prophecy and all that, um, I think, as I was looking at this, it occurred to me, if you look at the way that um, Mormon is, is putting together a little bit of a structure. Is this the only formula? No, it's just a structure, but here it is. They had waxed strong in the knowledge of the truth, semicolon, for, you know, meaning 
let me show you what it means to wax some elements that go into uh, waxing strong in the knowledge of the truth. And he's going to give us a couple of items here. Okay. Now, they had waxed strong because they were men of a sound understanding. Sound understanding. Let that one roll around for a second. Like, well, what does sound understanding mean? Okay. And that is going to be combined with that they'd searched the scriptures diligently, but they were searching the scriptures diligently with what? What was there first? No. The, the sound understanding. What happens when people of a sound understanding now start to look into the scriptures? Now, it's true that the scriptures will give back and give you a sound understanding coming back. But what happens if you start with your study of the scriptures from a sound understanding? Now, there's going to be some things that can jump out. Yeah. So, what this reminds me of, and these are not the same, but this reminds me of the cycle of the unstable saints. That's, it's people who were seized, and they fall. The, the rain has fallen on the wrong ground. Yeah. Okay. It was a sound so, seed. So they, they they receive it and they receive it with joy, and then they fall away. So this is the same kind of a model. Only this is a model of a stable thing. I like that. This is the model of the kind of person that will end up exalted. And and building a root system in in the right ground. Yeah, Brent. I was just going to say, it seems to me like the sound understanding is code for they had faith in Jesus Christ. I think that's there. They I, had repentance. Yeah. Well, they're, and they're wax, they're waxing strong now. And they had the Holy Spirit. Now let me let me throw one more thing at you. Okay, here, um, and and see because I think sound. I think we're all on the right track with sound understanding. But let me tell you what I think, and especially when I think about sometimes people looking through the culture, looking at the church, they're trying to decide, is this the true place? And, and we don't make it any more helpful sometimes by saying this is the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, and that, meaning that we have all the truth and the authority, and you got zip. And nothing of significance happened between the death of Peter and Joseph in the grove. Okay. Uh, we just don't help ourselves some. But one of the things that I, I think th this this goes to, and maybe this is a little bit tougher for us sometimes when we have to look at this, I think there's some questions we have to ask. One, is a sound understanding, is part of a sound understanding, understand that we need to be teachable? We're going into the scriptures. The spirit is teaching us. We need to be teachable. Now, that means, in my mind, maybe the challenge here is, do we study with a goal to be taught? Do we go to the temple with a goal to be taught? Or do we study to confirm what we already know? Well, I think if we're, if we're goal to be taught, so hold on to that idea, okay? Because here comes the next part. Are we in a race for the one true answer? I'm going to teach a gospel doctrine class, and I'm going to ask a question, and we're going to find the one true answer. That's wrong. 
that's wrong, that's wrong. Yes, that is the answer. Angels sing, ah, and we got the answer. And, and, and that's what we talk about, gospel doctrine. It is the answer. The real meaning, and anytime you're hearing somebody go, the real meaning of this scripture is, and thus I have spoken, those who have ears to hear, let them hear, and the discussion is over. Because this is the truth, because I spoke it. Uh, I, I love sometimes, you, sometimes you go out into rural Texas, and, and, and you can have a lot of discussion about a lot of things, but a lot of times you'll hear this line. Well, here's the bottom line to the whole thing, and, and then I'm done. This is, this is marker drop, mic drop. I have spoken. Amen. No, no more room for that. We're not coming back from what I said. There, there had been another one. So here's the other side of that, because I love that. But here's the other side of this, and I think this is where we have to be ready for this, okay? Are, we, are you ready to be wrong? Are you ready to be wrong? 
if you are if you're going to have a sound understanding i don't know that i've ever taught to anybody in any almost any field i certainly know in the area of psychology here's here's what i know the more i know the more i realize the less i know the more i study the more bigger the thing gets and i realize that there's a broader thing and the minute that i think i've got it all figured out i'm setting myself up to find out you know what not only is there more things but sometimes when i get that new information it challenges what i thought in the first place so sometimes the scary thing for us and one of the reasons why we like sometimes certainty in the church is that we have a heart we're, we're a little scared about what if i'm wrong uh, uh, yes well no I, I i like i like what i know and i don't want to be challenged that freaks me out man <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Let me think that one through. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and we've got to be careful. That's why I love the idea of having, if we're trying to understand what is right and what is wrong, in other words, a search for truth, the fact that we have prophets, the fact that we have scriptures, the fact that we have personal revelation gives us a nice foundation to go become people of sound understanding because we're willing to ask. But guys, we got to we got to be willing to ask. I mean, a simple cultural thing. This is separate from scripture thing. When, when you and I got married and we're standing in front of the Salt Lake Temple, uh, what was it I said to you that morning? Remember? In the Salt Lake Temple, it's this door, right? Angels are singing. Only the Savior is going to walk through this door. Nobody else opens this door because here it is. And then, and then later on, I was It's like a, you know, it's like a paradigm rupture. Okay, got to let go of that thing. 
Okay. Uh, it, uh, the, one of the hardest things when, when CES came out and said uh, there are there are some books in the church that we're not gonna we're not gonna be using in CES anymore. And if you got them, you probably want to retire those books. And that included some of my most cherished books. But then I, I took those cherished books down to half price books and watched them sail away. Mormon doctrine. Yeah, someone else is going to get it, right? And I'm going to make a buck off of this thing. <laughs> Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, the blue one. I went, oh, mark this thing to death. There you go. Go, and I'm going to go with the Joseph Smith papers instead. This is more. 90% of the stuff in those books was still valid. It was. Miracle of forgiveness. Goodbye. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Unless it's not the gospel doctrine question that we're looking for. Well, she said, no, she said, 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 she and part of the question is, is that Joseph is walking out, you know, and what his statement that he says, and we're not sure if he said when he said it to his mom in the one writing first vision. It sounds like it happened like immediately after it may not have been. But I believe he still had this conversation with his mom. Uh, afterwards, he says, Mother, I have learned what? For myself, that Methodism is not correct. Was it Presbyterian? That's right, because she was Presbyterian. He was leaning towards Method Presbyterianism. Okay. Well, again, I guess in that kind of experience, you go, okay, whatever he says, I'll take it. Right. That's right. It's just that the creed, the creeds were wrong. Amen. Yeah, and sometimes when we hear the word creed, we're thinking that the creeds are abomination, and we're going, well, the creeds all these churches. No, creeds like. The Westminster Confession, uh, the Nicene Creed, it was those those creeds that came along in the Middle Ages, right? So anyway, I just think that uh, I have, one of the things that I've tried to become, if I'm going to be more sound in my understanding, my soundness needs to be that I accept what's true, but I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to give up, even cherish things that I've been holding on to. When, I, when the Spirit is speaking or the prophets are speaking or something, I have to be willing to set aside the things that I have been clinging to sometimes. And, and guys, that can be really hard. That's giving up some stuff in favor of something that's going to be more affirming to us spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
Yes, I, I do. I do miss some of our old high priest group discussion meetings. <laughs> Sometimes those high priest groupers like, yes, this is the answer. No, this is the answer. Uh, I take issue with you, sir. This is this is the answer because I am well studied. No, this is. I'm from Utah. I know these things. Uh, <laughs> now in front of the elders, we still think it. We just don't say it out loud because they're younger. And what would they know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, don't worry about that. That's God's job, not yours. You look at me and you came in and you play and you were right. Yeah, it's not mine. But we're are we ready to be wrong, right? So. Uh, I, I, with that, again, I would just I just kind of close out by saying, do we have difficulty letting go of old cherished ideas when the Spirit teaches us something new that upgrades our knowledge? And I think sometimes that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I think that is way true. There's such a resistance, and it's why sometimes we're not able to really listen to those that are struggling, because we're afraid that if we even hear that out, it could affect our testimony rather than receiving that testimony. Well, and don't we do that to others as well? Like, we're afraid our kid's going to ask a question, because if, if they're going to look at, um, I, I remember still clearly to this day, and I'm not quite sure, we, we, I, was, I was young, I was sitting in the back of the car, I was driving with my parents back from Salt Lake where we'd gone to visit my my grandfather and his new wife. My grandmother died. He remarried. Uh, and I remember, uh, I think it was my mother, says, Arlo, the, the bishop, did you hear that the, the bishop wants your your dad and wife to go on a mission? I think he's wrong on that. That your dad's feeble, and 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 all that, and it, I, I don't know about that. And I remember very clearly my dad saying, "Let's talk about this another time. I don't want to have this discussion in front of the kids. That somehow we're going to be saying that a bishop might be wrong on on something. He did not want to do that in front of us." And I remember, but boy, that sat in my head. Really, maybe there's stuff going on here. And I, I don't, and I, I had to be probably given the age stuff like that. I was probably like nine or 10. I wasn't very old. So 
So, if anybody in here doesn't know bishops can be wrong, <laughs> I'll testify. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, you know, I just think sometimes we are so, we don't want people asking questions because if they're going to start questioning anything a prophet did or something like that, then it's the slippery slope and they're not going to believe anything. So then we say, then don't worry about it. Trust your testimony. It's good. I'll bear down in strong testimony. And then they'll go to the internet and now you got a thousand more questions than you started with. So anyway, all right. So so let me, we're about done here, but let me finish with one last point. Because Mormon's going to add one more thing to how we find, how we discover truth. And I think it's, I think it's interesting. And by the way, it points to the fact that these were still Old Testament, that, that they still had the Old Testament in front of them. Verse three, so it's not all, not just where they sound understanding, they'd search the scriptures diligently. Uh, and by the way, both Ammon, think about it. Alma the older, Alma the younger, the sons of Mosiah, all had to go from a place of, we know the truth. More, Noah is right, or Alma the younger is right. Abinadi is an idiot or whatever they believed to, wow, Noah's wrong, Abinadi is right, my father knows what he's talking about. You know, they all had to give up a belief system in favor of what they were going to teach. So they're all coming from this place, right? But this is not all, he says. They had given themselves to much prayer and fasting. Now, let me stop, because we're going to find it later on in Alma, we're going to say, how did Alma join the church? Well, the, well, the angel, it says the Alma, no, the Alma the younger. Oh. The, the angel came, shake the earth. He's, he's, you know, he does the Ammon thing for three days. He comes up. He's now ready to go change three days. So now this is where every parent who has wayward kids wants the angel to come and do the three-day thing to their kids. Shake, shake them. Yes. We want lots of shaking, lots of scaredness. Um, but Alma's going to tell you, no, that's not how I got converted. Later on, he's going to tell us much more detail, and it's going to come closer to much prayer and fasting. Uh, he's, he basically, he's going to tell his son, I had to learn like everybody else. Now, much prayer and fasting, therefore, they had the spirit of prophecy. So let, let, me, finish, let me finish with this. Oh, hush, Siri. I don't know why she decided to jump in. But anyway. Oh, I did. Let me ask you this question. Oh, that's what it is. Siri's got the answer. Siri doesn't know. I'm waiting to see if she's going to hop in here. <laughs> she is, isn't she? I don't have an answer for that. These are, these are people who did not have very many scriptures. How many? And they didn't have any conference books available. They they had maybe one or two prophets that they had personal interaction yeah. or had uh, awareness of what they had been taught. So so they had a, a need to rely on this prayer and fasting and personal revelation that we really ought to be relying on, but they didn't have another kind of truth. Amen. That, that they might have had this one. And the limited things that we have, we know that probably contained, it's amazing how the book of Isaiah is just 
everywhere. It's in the Hebrew Bible. It's certainly a knowledge that Paul had. The Savior's quoting from it. Uh, in Qumran, when you go to Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls were, they were making multiple, multiple copies of the book of Isaiah. That Qumran was a printing press. It was a place to continue to print out Isaiah and other scriptures. But here's, so here's Isaiah talking on fasting. Uh, and I'm going to hop over to Isaiah 58, 3, 8, and we'll finish with this. There you are. Okay. Isaiah 58, verse 3, wherefore have we fasted? You say, uh, and thou seest not. We're fasting, the results aren't happening. We've afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge. Behold, the day of fast, you find pleasure in exacting your labors. Uh, and we could just spend weeks on this section. But behold, ye fast for strife and debate. I fasted, I, I now know the truth, you know, and you're wrong. Uh, and do smite with the fist of wickedness. You do not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. You want it to be heard on low to each other in high priest group, but you're not fasting to be heard here. Okay. Is that the fast I've chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and spread sackcloth and ashes underneath him? Uh, yeah, sometimes fasting feels that way for me. Will thou call this a fast, an acceptable day? Now, purpose of fasting. And I love this, verse 6. Is this not the fast I have chosen? And then think about Alma and the sons of, uh, and Alma and the boys, sons of Messiah. Is this not the fast I have chosen to do what? To loose the bands, and, and, let, and you have to look at the, the words that Isaiah is using. Awesome. To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. The Savior will use these terms in Luke 4 in the synagogue in, in Nazareth. What day have I chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, undo the heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free, break every yoke? Is it not to deal the bread to the hungry that thou bringest the poor that are cast out of his house when thou seest the naked to cover him, that thou hide not thyself, thy flesh? And if you do that, thy, let thy light break forth as the morning and thy help to spring forward. Uh, now, from how do I get an answer to prayer? And how do I know what the truth is? It's in this setting about fasting. One of my all-time favorite scripture parts of the scripture. Verse 9. Then, then, after you've been serving and caring and loving and sacrificing and being part of and undoing all those things, then shalt thou call and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, here I am. So I think that's that moment where we say, what is the truth? And we've been out there serving and being part of What's the truth? And he says, now call on me. Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants will add, call on me when I'm near. Basically, I'll be near when you're doing that stuff. And then I'll give you answers. And it'll be, and you'll be able to trust it. Okay? So, all right, is that plenty? That's a lot of, lot of uh, I, I love the fact that we're seeing uh, for Alma and Ammon uh, how they got to where they were, and we just think we're not able to do the stuff that they did. Look what it took to prepare them to do that, and especially for Ammon and the guys. Good grief. You know, this, and, and the, everything they're seeing with the, that they're both watching martyrdoms, Ammon with the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, Alma and Amulek with uh, 
with their converts in Ammonihah. So. All right. Well, um, I bear you my testimony that the Lord intends us to have answers. The Lord intends sometimes for us to be wrong. And when we are humble, we're going to be filled with former understanding, with a more sound and deeper understanding, and the gospel is there for us to be able to do that. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Cindy, could we call on you for a closing prayer? And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.